This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening and however you're doing so, be it through, you know, 103.7thegame.com, all the free like podcasting apps that you can think of, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. It was a glorious weekend in the world of professional wrestling. I think we need to get right down to brass tacks and get to all of it. And before we get to Money in the Bank, Let's go ahead and get started with Impact's Slammiversary pay-per-view on Saturday, which I think a lot of people need to go check out if they love wrestling. This was a perfect opportunity to go check out something a little bit different, a little bit newer, and maybe just stuff you haven't necessarily seen in a while. There was every something for everybody on this show on Saturday night, and all started with the Ultimate X match for the X Division Championship. Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, Rohit Raju, Petey Williams, and Chris Bay all vying for Josh Alexander's X Division Championship. And this was so much fun. And I love how they actually had Chris Bay play the chicken bleep heel in the early goings of this, trying to just immediately get the title. Everyone takes him down. Josh Alexander used his power early, and he had a really badass-looking like German suplex on Ace Austin. This was a Fast and Furious contest all throughout, but they had a, mo- a couple moments or two from, I gotta give credit to, Rahit Raju absolutely made that pay-per-view, made that match so much more fun. He has some really good comedy spots, him not being able to reach the rope and be able to climb on it, him having to use a rope to climb up. That was funny. He had some really good spots to where I was absolutely laughing at a lot of that stuff. They had some really cool innovative spots like for instance they had a freaking submission spot where josh alexander has chris bay in an ankle lock while he has somebody in a submission hold while he's in a submission hold it was just what the hell was going on and the fact that you had josh alexander in mid-air like suspended in the air having an ankle lock locked in yes it's an ultimate x match where you win by taking the title down from the x but at the end of the day, the spot was still really cool, and I'd recommend this is a match I'd recommend you go check out. Petey Williams is in it, and of course, the innovator of the Canadian Destroyer hits his moves like crazy. He winds up like spamming his finisher a lot in the match. But the spot of the night, probably the entire the spot of the entire weekend, if not for Ricochet, which we'll talk about later, he went into Canadian Destroyer mode, hit a doomsday Canadian Destroyer off of the Ultimate X. The way it was set up, the spot, I was like, what the hell are they doing? And then when I saw the move executed, I just stood there audibly uh, gasping at how cool that move and spot was. Then you have Josh Alexander and Chris Bay. They start fighting over the belt. Ace tries to steal it because they're basically, it's almost the same as they've done in the past. I believe it was AJ Styles or something where you're trying to do the midair interception spot. But both of them basically pull the belt up in the nick of time, and Ace just falls flat on his face. And then Josh sends Bay to the mat, and then he retains the title. A fantastic opener to start off the show. Four and a half links of Boudin for me on my Boudin rating scale. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, well, instead of doing the old Dave Meltzer five-star ratings, I decided to change it, make it a little more local, make it a little more different. I think this was absolutely a four and a half link of Boudin-worthy match. So much fun, fast, furious action. 
make sure you go out of your way and check it out. Now we get to a mixed tag match. Tennille Dashwood and Brian Myers taking on Matt Cardona and his mystery partner, which turned out to be Chelsea Green. Probably one of the worst kept secrets in Impact Wrestling. You knew they were teasing the hot mess, and she showed up. And it was a ton of fun. And obviously this is all kind of roots in the Matt Cardona-Brian Myers feud. Having Tennille Dashwood, Zack Ryder, now Matt Cardona's ex, really worked well. And the, it was a fine match, you know, not much really to write home about, but really good. And, you know, there was moments where Chelsea Green, who was injured, but she wound up doing enough to get the job done. She, she wound up even hitting a Canadian destroyer on Myers and won with the Unprettier, which I'm just going to say this. Why can't we have Chelsea Green's finisher be called the Unprettier, but Christian still has to call his move the kill switch? It should just be the Unprettier no matter what, but... WWE decided to go a little PG and call it the kill switch, which is dumb. And why do we have to change what was working so damn well? Fine match. Nothing spectacular. I'm going with a three links of boot match. Basic story was told well. The fact that Zack Ryder got hit with a low blow, but he was wearing the cup was a great kind of little callback to everything that he's kind of dealt with over the last several years in wrestling, not just in the WWE, but impact wrestling as well. Because he got kicked in the groin by Tennille Dashwood, his former girlfriend in real life. But really cool stuff there. Now we get to W. Morrissey versus Eddie Edwards. The former Big Cass and Eddie Edwards went at each other in a just banger of just a hard-hitting contest. At one point, it looked like Eddie Edwards was going to get the count-out win. Excuse me. Morrissey was going to get the count-out win after choke-slamming Eddie on the apron, the hardest part of the ring, and it looked just bad. And then he tried going for more, trying to powerbomb him off the stage. Edwards counters. They go back in the ring a little bit later. Morrissey hits a brutal-looking F5. He doesn't go down. He throws him up in the air, doesn't go down, and doesn't go for the pin, which was surprising. Then he teased a superplex on Edwards, who countered that, hit a sunset flip powerbomb, and then hit a pump kick into a blue thunderbomb for a two-count. Again, great stuff. Hard-hitting as hell. Edwards... Winds up hitting the Boston knee party. Morrison, Morrissey throws the ref in front of him and almost decapitates him in terms of Edwards with a big boot for two right after. Edwards finally hits it, but Morrissey rolls out of the ring. Great ring awareness from him and pulls out a foreign object that the ref can't see. Edwards gets hit with it and Morrissey power bombs him for the win. Hard hitting as hell. I would have probably cut down a few minutes and this would have been rated a lot higher. I have his three and a half links to boot and fine match. Just would have much rather this be a little bit shorter of a contest, especially because of the fact that you had another match coming up next. You had a bonus match added to the show, and that is Mahabali Shira and Madman Fulton arguing with an official over why they were banned from ringside during the opening contest. Scott Demore comes out to deal with the situation, saying that he's excited to see the fans back, and he booked a tag team match right then and there against the returning Finjuice. First time in a long time they had been there. And this is a really quick match. It, of course, just establishes Finn Juice as a dominant group. Hitting sliced bread. I gave it two links of boot and the surprise. Definitely more than makes up for an underwhelming kind of match. It was just thrown together last second. No hype behind it. Just give it away essentially for free. Now we get to Moose versus Chris Saban. This is a phenomenal setup here. And Moose, by the way, looks like a million bucks. And I've always been a fan of him. Since he was with Ring of Honor, I know he has his issues, and I wish he had had an opportunity to go ahead and wrestle 
in the WWE, but he's made his hay, especially in TNA the last few years. His angles, his character development is really good, and this was a phenomenal match from Jump Street. Good back and forth between the two early on. Moose started to dominate about five minutes in. Let's save it up with chops, and it was not quite Walter-esque, but God, those absolutely sound like gunshots. Then he wound up going for one more, but then flipped the fans off and Saban started to fight back. Moose hit a great standing dropkick from the ground, from the ringside area, while Saban was on the apron still. That looked fantastic. Just the vertical leap he had was outstanding. Chris Saban fought back by hitting by biting Moose's hand, but he couldn't keep it going. Moose tried to hit a Brett's rope moonsault, but nothing doing. Saban was way too far out. Kind of a mistake there. Moose then hit a moonsault follow-away slam. I was like, what the hell? This big guy pulling off this big move, really good stuff. Saban rolls out of the ring, tries to rally, but Moose throws him into the barricade like a rag doll. And then we get back in the ring at the count of nine. Saban tries to roll him up for two. He tries to do it a few more times, but eventually does win with the victory roll. I give this a four links to boot a match. And I think that honestly, a lot of people probably are going to poo poo it, but it was way better than I expected that went in with very low expectations because it felt like it could have been, you know, Moose just beating the tar out of Chris Saban, but it felt a lot more competitive and the surprise upset win continues the story which I think I'm interested interested in seeing because, well, it's Moose. He always has some really cool storylines. Maybe this builds up to a match between the two at Bound for Glory with heavy implications for maybe a future title opportunity. Then they show earlier in the night that Rosemary and Havoc won the Impact Women's Chat, excuse me, the Impact Women's Tag Team title or the, the Impact Knockouts Tag Team title. I don't know what they call it but they wanted the kickoff show. And I think these titles have been booked about as badly as the women's tag titles because they've only been around for about a few months. And after the tournament, you've had four total champions, three individual. And that's been probably about all three months. That's a lot. That's a hot potato division. If there ever was one, then again, it's almost as bad as WWE because you don't have nearly as much tag team wrestlers in the group. Maybe you will down the road. Now we're going to get to the title matches First, the Impact Tag Team Championships, Good Brothers versus Willie Mack and Rich Swan. Violence by design defending the titles. And then Fala having no way as his tag team partner. First off, absolutely loved it. People pop for it like crazy, of course. This is the former No Way Jose. And he filled in for GJP, who's out with injury. Wish him nothing but the best. And this was a chaotic match I don't remember much of. Good Brothers did win the match with the Magic Killer on Rhino after he was distracted. Buy all the action on the outside. So the good brothers have the danglies once again. I love this match. It was, it was fun, chaotic. Don't remember much from it, so I'm going to give it two and a half stars. And that's something that really kind of sits with me. I'd much rather try and have these big-name matches that matter. I think this was a match that really didn't hit me in any way, shape, or form. Now we get to the Impact Knockouts Championship match. With Deanna Parrazzo looking to solidify herself as a year-long title reign, taking on Thunder Rosa, the mystery opponent. And I was shocked at this one. I thought we would have wound up getting somebody else. But it looks like NWA does have a deal in place with Impact to partner up. And the way they tease it, looks like that's going to be more like more than likely the case. You're going to have a super card for Bound for Glory, which we'll probably talk about more down the road. But this was really cool. 
And I was genuinely shocked we got this matchup, and it absolutely slapped. Thunder Rosa continues to crush it each and every step of the way, and these two put it together in a really nice way, and the stories that were being told were absolutely fantastic. You know, with Peraza targeting the shoulder for a good bit of the contest with a really nice divorce court, they called it, which was a great name. I didn't realize that was what they called it, but very much, uh, again, really impressed from start to finish what I saw from those two. And that should, that's not saying much because Perazzo continues to put together nothing but bangers in my mind. And these two went at it all the way through and it was just all but inevitable that Perazzo was going to win the match. And this may have been like match of the night because she had like absolute quality match of the nights as of late for Impact Wrestling. She's really showing how much WWE like missed the boat on her, and Perazzo did retain with the Queen's Gambit four and a half links of Boone for this one. Absolutely slapped, and she's continued to have these fantastic shows showings against Impact Wrestling. And then Mickey James winds up coming back after the match to a big pop, not quite as big as somebody else who we'll talk about later on in the podcast, but still pretty damn good. And then, you know, they cut a promo. Mickey invites the Knockouts champion to NWA Empower. They're all women's pay-per-view. That'll be next month. And Deanna turns it down, even drops in a trash bag reference. Mickey James slaps the taste out of her mouth, then lays her out with a quick kick. And I really want this to be the main event of NWA Empower next month. If you want to wind up trying to get people to be invested and interested in this product, especially when you try and reestablish a women's division that laid largely dormant, and the National Wrestling Alliance, this is your opportunity to do so. Because you you could have had the NWA like Women's Championship be part of TNA in the early days, but you didn't want to do that. Now you have an opportunity to have potentially, I, again, I'd love to see it be, you know, Deanna Prazo versus her. And then maybe you have the NWA Women's Champion Camille be one of those other matches down the road on an impact. And then you could book, because I know they're planning on booking a big Triple Mania match and you could have you know, Deanna Perrazzo holding two belts, heading into that show, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of moving parts, but honestly, I can't wait to see how it indeed goes. Now we get to the main event of the evening. Sammy Callahan versus Kenny Omega. And Callahan quickly goes for his pile driver, only good for a two. Sammy goes for the plunder almost immediately. Omega's selling. He tees a chair shot to the head, but he goes for a headlock. Then... Takes a fork out, fork out of his pocket, and then Kenny avoids getting stabbed by the fork. However, he wasn't going to get away from it just yet. He wound up getting busted open courtesy of a pizza cutter, and Callahan just keeps like grinding away at the forehead of Omega. He is busted wide open. Took a lot of punishment, but takes over after a Death Valley driver, and he goes to the outside and starts bashing Callahan's brain with every weapon he can find. Callahan... Tries to fight back, but Omega takes over with a trash can aided moonsault on Sammy's ankle. That had to hurt a lot. And this has been a ton of fun at this point. Omega teased the one winged angel, gets a roll up for two, then gets pushed into the then he pushes Sammy into the chair wedged in the corner, which again, I liked. Omega then stabs Sammy with a fork, and these two are just bleeding like crazy. Sammy starts fighting back outside, and then Kenny in the corner, moves out of the way, and Callahan enters his hand. Omega hits a double stomp on the table with Callahan underneath it, and that thing breaks apart. Then he sets up a table on the outside and leaves a, and teases like a snapdragon suplex through the table. Sammy bites his finger, 
Omega goes for a pile driver, but Callahan turns around by grabbing on the family jewels and then puts them through the table with incredible ease with a pile driver of his own, which does not get the three count even after a powerbomb. Then Sammy takes out a barbed wire chair and the fans are bloodthirsty at this point. Want to see you know, Kenny Omega's career come to a sudden end and then they can just go at it. It's freaking entertaining as hell at this point. Omega hits a famous her on the chair, then hits a powerbomb that's only for two count on the chair because Sammy got his hand in the ropes or his foot in the ropes, excuse me. Just phenomenal match. Superplex to break up, you know, the to break the board that Callahan brought in, then hit a trash can for two. Callahan is a tombstone pile driver on the barbed wire chair for two. Barely was on him, but still cool. Omega then hit, his, hit, the, hit him, uh, his opponent with a pocket sand, and Sammy immediately hits the ref with a pile driver, which I pop for, to be honest with you. Then you have Callahan, a tombstone pile driver, again on the barbed wire chair. Really good stuff. Then hits him with then Omega hits him with a pile driver for two after a new ref is in the ring, and the Kenny lays him out after it's a two count. The Good Brothers come out to try and interfere, but Saban runners get the Saban and Edwards, excuse me, they get the run in. Callahan hits a pile driver. They get a 2.9. Sammy gets the tax, and Don Callis runs interference. And then you have Omega basically throw tax into Callahan's eye, hits him with a V-trigger, aided by the... Trying to think of the word right now. Aided by the thumbtacks, then does it again with the thumbtacks in his mouth, another V-trigger, then hits the one-winged angel onto a bunch of tacks for the win. And he retains the Impact title. This was a five links of Bune worthy match and a phenomenal main event. Kenny Omega continues to prove himself that he is probably one of the best in the business because he works so many different styles. After the match, JY comes out and he's holding his never open weight championship and it looks like to be elite versus Bullet Club. The show goes off the air. As things are starting to really heat up, you see Finju show up and he gets a run in according to Fightful. And that turns the entire story on its head. Because Switchblade attacked Juice and Finley. So is he part of Bullet Club or is it just an enemy of my enemy is my friend? And obviously the Never Open Weight Championship is going to be put on the line next month over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So there's a lot of stories going on with that. But it felt kind of weird. Like maybe Impact is taking notes from WCW where you're going to sell a pay-per-view but also you're wanting to sell more importantly your tv show that way you can get more ratings which mind you i think they've peaked when it comes to those ratings i think they need to focus a lot more on getting more and more stars watching the show live on twitch or access tv that way they know who they really want to invest in as the future of the company you can't just necessarily put all your chips in the table on a chris bay or even somebody like a falaba that's just my thoughts, but still, overall, phenomenal show and great tone setter for what was a weekend of phenomenal programs. Hey, you're listening to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. If you haven't already, go check us out on social media. You can check us out on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Cajun Strong Pod, and then you can check us out on Facebook, just search Cajun Strong Style. Give us a follow or a like while you're there. Now let's get into Money in the Bank, the first pay-per-view since WrestleMania, 
with fans in the stands. And boy, I do not ever want to go back to a show without fans in the stands. I think this one absolutely proves that statement entirely. First off, you had a pre-show match where the crowd was actually hot for it. And that is for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Usos taking on Dominic and Rey Mysterio. First of all, love Rey Mysterio and his son's entrance. Perfect. Different, but I still liked it. Also, why did they wear it like Jason masks? I was like, what the hell is going on over there? But a great pre-show opener. It didn't pay too much attention to some of the more finer details of the match, but still was so much fun. The crowd was hot as hell. Jimmy hits a pop-up Samoan drop that gets a two count. This is towards the end of the match. Jey Uso takes a 619 by Mysterio. Then Jimmy goes, excuse me, Mysterio goes for the West Coast pop. Jimmy catches Mysterio midair with a super kick that looked absolutely brutal. Then yet the top rope splashed by Jimmy for 2.9. They tease the two post massacre spot. Dominic stops one of the Usos. Then Jimmy rolls up Mysterio. And Jay helps him secure the win. A little lying, cheating, and stealing. But still a really good pre-show match. For once, we get to see a good pre-show match. So more credit to them. Three and a half links to Buna. You saw this crowd just solely into this one. And for a pre-show, that is a huge victory. Now we're going to get to the women's Money in the Bank Atlanta match. First off, it took about 15 minutes into the show to get into the actual match, which further proves why we don't need to see a eight-person Money in the Bank, be it women or men. And this was interesting because there's a lot of different things to think about. Yet, what the hell Alexa Bliss is doing, what she was going to do with her you know, mind control gimmick, Nikki almost a superhero, and if Becky Lynch was going to return. You don't know what was going to happen. I felt like there was a chance she was going to, didn't. But I wouldn't be surprised if she shows up on Monday Night Raw tomorrow night. And the overall match wasn't necessarily like phenomenal from a technical aspect, but it was pretty damn entertaining. You know, Liv Morgan absolutely put together a great performance in her part. I want to see her get a push in the not too distant future. But it was just more things were sloppy at a certain point, and things just didn't hit like that second or third gear. I think that's the only knock I'm going to have on. It's not a knock on the women itself. Just there was too much going on. Alexa Bliss using her gimmick to get Zelina Vega off the ladder I pop for. It's stupid and dumb, but at the same time, it works. I like stupid and dumb stuff, so I think this was perfect. Natalia playing defense the entire time. Her and Tamita just basically being the enforcers, taking everybody out every now and again, was really cool. Then the match ends really weirdly first off they bury alexa bliss with ladders and michael cole's like they're burying alexa bliss i'm like come on now are we really going to use that term for this i don't need it i was like what the hell are we doing with this this is a mess then you have the remaining competitors they climb three separate ladders it was basically reminiscent to the TLC. no not the tlc it was ladder it was the ladder match at wrestlemania 2000 where you had them all fighting on different ladders. But Nikki just basically literally goes head and shoulders above everybody else and wins money in the bank. So now she has an opportunity to have a title shot. I'm giving this two and a half links of booty. Probably one of the worst matches on the money in the bank, just from a technical aspect. Really fun stuff, though. Enjoyed the finish. And now I'm intrigued to see what happens to her. She had a bad spot at one point. She tried diving off the top of a ladder from the outside into the ring and looked like she could have easily hurt herself a lot. I like this. I like the match itself. The finish was interesting. Now I'm wondering what's going to happen to Nikki, almost a superhero. Is she now going to become a full-blown superhero 
and cash in? Or could this be more of an Otis situation? I'm not saying Otis in the sense of, oh, wait, they're just going to put the money in the bank on her and forget about her. No, I think it's more Otis in the sense of, hey, we don't have anything for you right now. You're going to hold the title. till You're going to hold money in the bank until you lose it to somebody else. Maybe even Alexa Bliss was something that kind of theorized after because I think you could very well work an angle where Alexa Bliss forces Nikki Cross to, or Nikki, almost a superhero, to lose money in the bank to her by forcing her to lay down using her mind control powers because it's a thing that could be plausible. If you're able to see her control Zelina Vega's mind and have her throw the match and go down on the ladder, I think you can wind up getting somebody to lay down for you using your Jedi mind tricks or your fiend mind tricks, if you will. So I think that's something that I can at least see happening in the not-too-distant future. not saying it's going to happen, but it's a hypothetical. Now we get to the Raw Tag Team Championship match. The match I had the least amount of expectations for exceeded them. You know, almost has been phenomenal. He started to, like, turn around. He's improved so much more. Show by show. There's only a second match in front of a crowd. And he performed at a very high level. And, you know, AJ tagged in and the Viking Raiders took over. And they had a really cool spot at one point. AJ got tossed over the top rope by almost just clean over the top. In, in That wound up going into a Hurricane Rana. The amount of precision and timing was freaking nuts. And at one point, AJ was just bumping like a madman. He had a back body drop where he had... Tons of elevation. Absolutely was flabbergasted by that. These two exceeded expectations for me. AJ was getting ragdolled like crazy. Then you have a springboard kick into a German for two and a half. Viking Raiders are looking like they're on a roll. Almost gets tagged in. Hits a mammoth press slam. Like the fact he managed to get Ivar up was impressive. And then they want to be in a two count. It's like, come on, that was the perfect point to end the match. But it keeps going. Viking Raiders stay on Omos, but can't quite get the Redwood down. Styles tried to roll him up for the win, but he kicks out. Viking Experience almost gets the win, but Omos breaks it up by pushing Eric onto Ivar. Breaks up the pin. Omos and Styles retain after Omos hits a choke. Excuse me, it was a double choke slam. Basically, it was the two arm. It was almost like the Baldo bomb, but instead of going down, Omos, I don't think he'll ever take a bump, and he doesn't really need to, to be honest with you. Because he's such an imposing figure, this was perfect. And it was a four links of Boudin match. I loved it. And he feels like he's a guy that's been doing this for years. Yes, he's still limited in what he's going to be doing inside the 20 by 20 squared circle. But the job he's doing absolutely fits this part very, very well. At least from my POV. Now we get to the WWE Championship match. Kofi Kingston versus Bobby Lashley. I'll come right out with my links of Boudin rating right now. Three links of Boudin. Because this was a dominating performance. This was what everybody talks about Cena Lesnar SummerSlam 14 being a complete and utter squash. And it's not in a bad way. It wasn't, you know, Kofi losing in five seconds to a spear. It was a prolonged squash that made Lashley look like a freaking monster, which is exactly what you need your champion to look heading into what's coming up next for him, which, in case you didn't know, and at the time we're taping this, Monday Night Raw hasn't started yet. We're going to be dropping the podcast soon, as soon as I finish recording, I should say, and doing a little mixing down. I am going to be telling you right now, we're going to be seeing 
Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg at SummerSlam. I think we all know that it's going to happen, and I'm all the way here for it. As somebody who hates Goldberg, I think this is the perfect opportunity to have another one of those finisher spamming matches that makes when Goldberg shows up so damn cool. And having Lashley look like a dominant SOB, and it looks like we're never going to get the main event of Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, or at least not yet, because I'm sure once the Saudi blood money comes up again, once this whole COVID disaster kind of goes away, I guarantee you we're going to see that before too long. Now we get to the Raw Women's Championship match. I can't stand the fact that this was a match. And it's like Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. Didn't like it heading into it because I'm like, why do we have to continue to have Charlotte Flair be the center of attention? And then I realized this is why. Charlotte Flair, and as much as I hate her because we've gotten so, I've gotten so burnt out from her in the last year, she's hands down the best women's wrestler. Women's wrestler in the company, if not all of women's professional wrestling amongst the big three, WWE, Impact, AEW. I could count Ring of Honor, but they're still going through their whole new Women of Honor, their Ring of Honor Women's Champion, which the championship looks great, don't get me wrong, but we need to establish who the roster is and what the pecking order is. I think if I were to put the top three, it's the three who hold some of the top titles. I think we got to say it's Charlotte Flair, it's Deanna Perrazzo, and it's Britt Baker, because they have that total package. Charlotte Flair, you you have to hate because she is an absolute heel, and she's, I'm just going to say it, she's a bitch, but it works because that's what her character is, and she does that character so damn well. I mean, she's the daughter of Ric Flair, for God's sake. She knows how to cut a promo. She knows how to put together a really solid match, and she went from having the fans chanting, we want Becky to Channing, this is awesome. That's the definition of a phenomenal wrestler. Yes, she can be a bitch in a storyline. I don't mind saying it and saying it in the context of she can be that conniving little you-know-what to where you're going to hate her. But damn it, she puts together great matches. I don't care about the storyline, but they put together a really solid match and got the fans into it. And they had... Some moments where it was a little bit sloppy. Looked like Ripley at one point was going for a package pile driver that ends with a vertical vertical suplex. Got to give her credit for getting that done. One thing I will say, though, and I've said it before, Charlotte Flair needs to retire the freaking moonsault to the outside. One day she is going to hurt herself, and it's not going to be good because she overshoots that every single freaking time. I'm not saying overshoots to where she misses. She overshoots to the point where when she hits the moon moonsault, she's already on her feet. Like, there's a point where you're going to wind up, like, eating you-know-what, and it's not going to be a great look. Then you had her counter the Riptide into a DDT for 2.9. Love that. Flair went for another pin, trying to put her foot on the ropes. Ref catches her cheating. Then you had a natural selection with Charlotte going off the top rope and hitting Ripley with that for a 2.9999. Flair bashed the crap out of Rhea's leg that by kicking the steps while Ripley's legs are in there, and then Ripley taps out with the figure eight. Charlotte Flair wins the title for like the 15th time. Nothing short of impressive. Four links to Boudin match. Slow start. Didn't really care about it heading into to it. But this was a damn good and damn entertaining match. And then Peacock decided to have a stroke. Which, by the way, that's why the podcast title is Peacock Sucks. 
because it may be the worst streaming service of all time. And that's saying something considering the fact that us wrestling fans a decade ago had to deal with Go Fight Live and their BS with Ring of Honor shows. Because if you go back to the old days, the original like streaming days of wrestling, when you had like Justin.tv airing wrestling, you also had stuff like Go Fight Live or some other stuff. I can't remember all the ones we used to have before Fight TV took over. And then you all have, you know, Impact Wrestling has Impact Plus. You know, AEW deals with Fight. And you have, you know, obviously Ring of Honor has Honor Club, all that stuff. You know what you're getting into whenever you sign up for those products. But about a decade ago, you had Go Fight Live. This was early, like, internet streaming. You'd be lucky to get a really reliable stream from that, like, ever. And this was whenever Ring of Honor was just largely doing iPay-per-views. It was internet pay-per-views. It was brand new. And it was a complete and utter disaster piece. If you remember that stuff from back in the day, Good luck, God bless to you, if you were able to get some really good stuff. But this was a prime example of why Peacock may be the worst. Because it, after the match between Charlotte and Rhea, everything went to hell in a handbasket. The entire time in the entrances, I had to keep going to other sources. I had to go through other kind of things. And I realized Peacock can suck mine because this was an absolute joke. Thankfully, stuff worked before the match started once the match started it was so damn good it took a while for me to get into it because of the whole peacock issues you never knew if you were going to get it back up and running again this is like 10 minutes where things went horribly wrong you ruined the promo you, you ruined so much stuff i was like why are we doing this but this was chaotic as hell love the fact you have ricochet excuse me rollins and john morrison working well as a team and then just doing the double teams Really fun. Drew McIntyre, man on fire at one point, hitting double claymores, taking everyone out with a dive, and almost won it, but Jinder Mahal stable stopped him, and they obliterate him and kind of bring him to the back, possibly riding him off, but also continuing the storyline of him wrecking his motorcycle. Again, that's a thing that's happening in 2021. We're going to go ahead and go with that angle. But Ricochet may have one of the best spots of the year because first he walks the ropes, then jumps onto the ladder, and then he knocks Riddle off the ladder. Then Riddle tries to push him off the ladder. Ricochet bounces off the ropes, hits a phenomenal like plancha. I was just sitting there. I was like, what the bleep just happened? And I sent to my my girlfriend, and we were talking about it. And it's like, I immediately text her, because she knows I watch wrestling, and she's not necessarily that into it. But I told her, this is why I love wrestling. Stuff like this happens, and it's just holy bleep. And that's exactly what she said. It's like, holy balls. Like, this is... Like, amazing. The fact that you just pulled this off is perfect. I'm like, Ricochet is the absolute best and gets people into it. And it was car crash TV all the way through. At one point, Kevin Owens gets powerbombed through the ladder by Seth Rollins, which looked great. Then the finish happens, and I was like, I can tell you, I literally was like almost getting on my feet in my office watching this. Because all of a sudden, Big E picks up Rollins while on the ladder, Sets him up for the big ending, and he actually hits the big ending off the ladder. I had never seen that before. He hits it. He wins. I just sat there, like, flabbergasted that they actually put the, like, rocket ship on somebody like Big E. I want to see him win the title against Goldberg or do something. I want to see Big E Goldberg. I want to see him face off against some big, meaty man. Maybe he could be the one to beat 
Roman Reigns. I don't know, but I'm all the way here for it. This is going to be so much fun. And this is a four and a half links of Budan match. If you love ladder matches, this one was for you. And then we get to the main event. Edge versus Roman Reigns. What we all been waiting for. What's causing all this? And my God, it freaking ruled. It was that, again, I've talked about it before. Slow, methodical is what Roman's done. It's very reminiscent to Triple H in the Reign of Terror. But he does these matches extremely well. Edge attacked the arm for the good chunk of the match, focused in on that a lot. At one point, he got hit with a Samoan drop on the outside. Roman just took over from that point on. He just dominated, was impressed by all the trash talking Roman kept getting, and he's building heat, all leading up to the hope spot. Roman goes for a Superman punch, Edge counters, hits a backslide pin, both are down to reset the match. Then Edge starts breaking out all the greatest hits, hits the Edge of Matic for two, then later on he hits a couple clotheslines and hits the Edgecution, that gets a two count, then locks in an STF, kind of paying homage to John Cena, who we'll be talking about in a minute. And Michael Cole called it a crossface, which again, further proves that I'm just not a fan of Michael Cole. Pat McAfee, an S-tier commentator. I think everybody I've talked to agrees he freaking rules. Not just as a commentator, but as a person in general. Roman drags himself to the ropes. Edge transitions into, the co- into a crossface finally, and, and Reigns finally gets to the rope to break the hold. Reigns takes back over, tries to put Edge in the guillotine, and looks like it's going to be all over, but he starts to fight back, shows life. And then they, he rolls himself and Roman out of the ring. And then you have just insanity because you have Roman trying to spear Edge. And then Roman goes through the barricade. Edge spears him again through the barricade as well, through what was left of that one barricade. Oh, my God, it was awesome. Reigns kicked out at 2.9, which makes sense considering that you have to throw him in there. Reigns at the Superman punch and Edge inadvertently hits Lil Nate, who sells an e-injury, which may have actually been like legit based off of the way they ended that. And the next thing you know, Reigns tries to use a piece of the chair while the ref's down. Edge counters, uses it, uses it against Roman with a cross face. Usos run in, Mysterio stopped the interference. Then Seth Rollins comes out, super kicks Edge, walks out, Edge hits the spear, and you know it looks like we get a new ref. Roman kicks out a 2.9 again. Rollins comes out once again, Edge boots him off the ringside apron. Roman spears him. Boom. Game over. Retains the Universal Championship. Four and a half links to Boone. I wanted to give it five, but I said, nope, I'm not going to do that. Rollins. And then like, we get more post-match schmas. And I love the fact we get post-match schmas in the main event. Because it continues to talk about what's next in the storyline. Rollins continues to beat down Edge after the match, and they brawled through the crowd to the back. And then Roman gets the mic, says the whole world can't acknowledge me. A few seconds of silence. Cena's music hits, and the entire crowd goes nuts. I literally, the second Cena's music hit, I sat up because I was watching it on my TV, laying down on the daybed, and then right when it happens, right when you hear Cena's music hits, I just like perk up like a dog that just heard, you know, treat. That's basically what happened. And I was like, what the hell just happened? The crowd is coming to glued. It's like it. You hear the saying "Road Warrior Pop." This was the definition, library, like Webster's Dictionary definition of Road Warrior Pop. So damn good. No promo. Cena poses. Show just ends. Just him showing up 
was enough to get me intrigued about what's next and whether or not what he'll do when he shows up on Raw tonight. We're taping this right before Monday Night Raw, and the road to SummerSlam is going to be extra juicy. And this was a breath of fresh air after a just god-awful hell in a cell. I didn't do a review of it a few weeks ago because of the unprecedented hiatus. That show sucked ass. This show was far superior, and I was so damn excited after the show. And I, again, I've had probably three or four moments of those in my life in terms of wrestling. They just absolutely popped me. Jericho's return in 07 is probably one of the biggest ones that I can remember. And that was literally, I saw that happen and could not fall asleep for about two, three hours after that. And this is like until like one o'clock, I class the next day. Then it's The Rock returning in 2011. 2021, Cena returns is in that ranking. It's so damn good. It's something that makes me pop. And I'm like, what the hell? 2001, every time I watch Stone Cold return, that's the pop that I think we're all, we all are waiting for. And the fans had a lot to do with this night being amazing and this show kicking ass. And I'll take it. I'll gladly take it over what we've gotten in the past with pay-per-views in the Thunderdome where things have just been occasionally hit or miss. Like Hell in a Cell 2020 was an absolute joke. Hell in a Cell 2021 was god-awful. I think they need to retire the Hell in a Cell gimmick. But they also had moments like Survivor Series that were so much fun, even in the Thunderdome. WrestleMania with the half-assed crowd, or even the WrestleMania last year with no crowd. Those shows still rule. But the fans probably took this show from a like a B-tier to an A-tier, almost an S-tier pay-per-view of a ranking 2021 pay-per-views which we'll probably do further down the road. But I appreciate you listening in to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe however you get your podcast and leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can write one down as well. And if you write one, we'll mention it on the podcast. Once again, appreciate everybody for listening in and enjoy all the pro wrestling this week. Mm-hmm.